Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I wanted to start out. I have a few more things left, of course, on our seal that we're discussing, but I'm going to talk to you about something else. But I did want to start with the one I have left over, but you don't have to turn to there if you don't want to, but it's actually about the word. It's the sword. I don't know if you have that little slide, you can throw it up. If you're not, I didn't even tell you to put it up there, so it's all good. But listen to what it says. It says the sword with the key on the hilt. I had to look up hilt because I wanted to say heel, but it was the moon, so it's not even any of those things. It's that little thing. You know what a hilt is? It's the handle, sort of, of the sword. See, look, I gave you a little lesson today. And you, you can go away, and the only thing you will remember, welcome, the only thing you can remember is that I found out what a hilt meant. Maybe not. Tess is my biggest fan today. I'm just going to look over at her all the time. Is representative of the authority given to us by Jesus. Do you remember when you didn't know that? You remember when you thought that you just had to leave it up to God to do everything on earth? You know, one of the really cool things that that little snippet that Christy shared about the covenant, did you catch that she was saying that when one tribe was weak, all the crop tribes didn't join up. They already good at that. Do you see how that's a correlation of marriage? We got marriage all messed up, didn't we? We thought it was about uh, something else. <laughs> but it's really about two parties that have weaknesses they're willing to readily admit and joining up with someone else who has a strength in that area. If you're married and you haven't discovered that yet, you're missing a whole pocket of goodness. And so, we, you know, the world has a counterfeit of marriage. And since, see, until, let me just give a note, because this is an analogy for the church and Jesus. See, God wanted there to be an earthly representation of how to reproduce after like kind. But what we, most of us were raised in, probably as two parents that didn't agree, so we we were raised in utter confusion. And we were raised with parents who thought criticism was a motivator, right? And so then Jesus had to come and give us the demonstration of what covenant looked like. And I think I love that because think about it. If, if you get married and all you focus on is how you need that other person to change to be like you, you're missing out on the attribute that they actually brought to the entity. And it's the same thing in the family, in the tribe of God. When, when God puts a tribe together and we, be, we begin to infight and we begin to be jealous and we get, begin to compare and we begin to look at the others and get offended, we're actually missing out on the shaping that was intended from, and it depends on how much iron you got, how good you are at shaping. And so, you know, I believe that God is going to raise up a people that understand what marriage was about. And so then they will reproduce after like kind. So then when they have children, they will reproduce world changers as opposed to need meters. And so then we'll realize, okay, you are different than me and I am different than you on purpose. 
And see, what happened was the differences, this is such a counterfeit of the enemy, the differences in marriages began to cause divorce. So they really didn't make a covenant. A covenant is a, a covenant is unable to be broken. And so that the enemy knows that. And so that's why he uses soul ties to keep us connected to the past. That's just a free commercial right there. And so what, what the enemy does is he counterfeits everything that God intended. And so see what he does, he raises up people to get together. And then we begin what we, the other thing we do is we try to act like there's a difference between male and female in the spirit. And so then we, we raise up a hierarchy and I was raised in that church. I don't know if you were. You know, I still can hear junior voice in my head every now and then, just occasionally. It's really rare now. It says, what are you doing? You're a woman. Right. <laughs> but see, I have to see myself in the spirit. See, I see all of y'all in the spirit. Yeah. If you just see me as a gender, you won't see me in the spirit. You won't understand the authority that you have. See, I know the authority I have, and what I'm trying to do is get you to buy into the authority that you have. And so if we're just going to sit around and patty cake about male and female, we're, we're going to miss it, and we're going to go to heaven going, well, I thought that man, I thought that boy, I thought that girl, I thought that woman, and we missed it the whole time. So that's why the enemy now has counterfeit genders, because, they, because people realize something's off. But it's just a counterfeit. So... I don't know why we got on that commercial. Covenant. It was your fault, Mendel. So the covenant, I'm going to talk about covenant a little bit today, and I'm also going to talk about the beauty of, of surrender. But, but anyway, let's keep doing our commercial on this amazing seal. So he's given us this authority. That's why we're talking about that. So let me, let me finish my point. I went off on a tangent right there, and you didn't even know it. But what happened was is that Jesus gave us the keys of authority not over God with God so I came to the covenant with a deficiency do you know what it is I also came to the covenant with a sufficiency so let me help you I came to the covenant with no power I only have a power over my own little soul a wild bucking bronco thing that acts like it's got to have eight hours of sleep and it Everybody has to get its oh, get me ice cream. I'm going to lay in bed and eat my bonbon. It, my soul. What does your soul say? It's so big, isn't it? Isn't it weird when you finally conquer something about your soul and you look back at your soul and you're like, wow, you were so out of control. Right? Your emotions were all over the place and you thought people owed you. Right? So I came to the covenant with this one thing. An earthly life. God needed it. God needed a container to fill up. Do you understand? If you if you ever understand that, God needs you. He doesn't need you to help him be God. Like he's God on his own. He doesn't need us to even worship him. But my container needs it. My container needs to exercise the things he said to exercise in order to put him in his proper place in order for me to what? Receive power from on high. That's why whenever, that's why, that's why whenever in Acts, when they position themselves to wait. For what? The power they didn't have. 
That's why religion won't work. The religious spirit won't work because it can't operate with the power of God. God can't fill a vessel that's already filled with a different spirit. And so the, so the disciples demonstrate to us to position your heart. Position yourself where? Where he said in the upper room. For an outpouring. How did they know the outpouring came? What was the indicator something different was happening than had just happened with Jesus? They had just been with Jesus. They watched him fly up in the sky, and they said, go get inside a room and wait. And they're like, what are we waiting for? I mean, let me tell you, they weren't waiting. They weren't just waiting for a sound. Because there are sounds going on in the city all the time. What were they waiting for? How did they know they got it? It transformed them. It transformed them they, they, it, with fire. They had to go then deliver fire out. They didn't just stay in the building. They went out and told of the fire and immediately the church was 3,000 strong. Stronger than it was with Jesus around. So that's the covenant I'm making. I needed a lot of things, but God needed something. God wanted a co-laborer of humanity to fill with His presence and power so you wouldn't look anything that you would look like without Him. So you would think different, you would act different, you would speak different, you'd make different choices. You would do things that people who weren't in that covenant would look at you and say you're crazy. They'd say blood's thicker than water, and you'd say, no, this blood. It transformed me. I have to act different. I can't act like you anymore. When I hung out with you, I know I did those childish things that you're still doing, but I can't do those things anymore because now I have a purpose. I have a covenant, and I have a covenant people, and they're waiting on my strength, and I need their strength, and God is waiting on my container, and I need His power, and they have to be reciprocal, and they have to go on all the time. That's why it's me and you and you and me. And when I wield that authority... See, I believe that we are not meant to sit and just deal with fear, deal with lies. I think once a lie is identified, a fear is identified, the promise of Jesus is that he'll cast those things out with my authority. He'll say to me, I don't want that living in me. Jesus doesn't want a roommate. Jesus doesn't want a roommate of your fear. Of your past. All have sinned. I get it. Jesus doesn't need that. He can't even see it. It's like I keep trying to remind him of stuff that he can't see anymore. He is all about progress. Let's progress. It says, let's take this faith. Let's take this covenant. Let's take this inheritance. And let's progress into something. Right? Right? Y'all need a good coach in your life. When we use this authority to speak what the Father has spoken and to bring earth into submission. That's our, that's our job. So that means there's stuff on earth that's just going crazy. It don't look like God. It don't speak like God. Just the sheer fact that you can recognize it. 
Some of y'all used to do it. Some of y'all, right? Some of y'all were in religion and you did religious stuff and you thought, this is cool, man. I'm serving God and he likes me and man, I'm powerful. And you were wimps. You couldn't raise the dead or heal the sick or nothing that Jesus said to do on the elementary level. Some of y'all were out in the world and you were blind. You're idiots. Making choices with your money, with your body, with your time, with your energy that just produced death and you were trying to make it live. Remember when you made some of those choices and you kept trying to breathe on it to make it good? Oh, I think I'm good at this. Remember when you said that? I think I'm good at this. You weren't good at it. The bar wasn't even on the right measuring scale. Understanding the authority we carry in speaking truth with the wisdom of the Father is how we move in victory over the power of darkness. So, this is what I love. Um, In John, I read this yesterday, I believe it was, in John 4. Let's turn over there real quick, okay? This is such a fun story. John 4. Now, what happened in John 3? I've, I've preached on John 4. John, let's talk about, huh? John, John 4 was, was Nicodemus. You know that story, right? Okay. I mean 3. Sorry. Thank you, Pam. Just keep correcting me. I don't usually quote any of it right, so it's okay. Christy straightens it out in sermon notes. It's, it's, it's uh, John 4. Now, you know John 4 is a woman at the well, right? Okay, but if you jump on down to... After he talked to the woman at the well, let's jump way on down. Let's go down to 31-ish. So, so, look, at, so look at 29. So all the, uh, 28, all at once the woman left. She had her jar, remember? So he was having this interaction with the woman at the well, right? And so then the very next verse is what we're talking about. And it says, the disciples begin to insist that Jesus eat something. Now, what was Jesus just doing? He was just talking to the woman at the well. And what was he doing? He was giving her a drink. He was giving away himself. And then they noticed, they thought, Jesus, the hangry Jesus, they were thinking, you're low on fuel, Jesus. That's what they were thinking. Have you ever said that to your friends? I say that to Tracy a lot. Have you eaten today? Because you're acting weird. That's my indicator. You're acting weird, Tracy. Eat some meat or something. So the, 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 the Jesuses, the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some food. They brought back and they said, Teacher, you must eat something. And this is what Jesus said. But Jesus told them, I have eaten a meal you don't know about. (laughs) Now, don't you love the disciples? They were like, (laughs) Pete, did you get him a hamburger or what happened here? And Right? Nick was like, no, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't get anything. Right? They, they don't even know what happened. But I love in the passion, this is the footnote. It says, this is a fascinating wordplay in the Aramaic. The word Jesus used isn't the common word for food. That's why they were confused. But a specific word that means nutrients. Come on. It's also a more commonly translated Kingdom. Jesus has a kingdom feast that no one else knows about. He feasts upon the devotion of the bride. The church is the woman at the well. So what was he feasting on? He was just at the well giving away. What was he feasting on? 
that his words transformed her and she responded. It was her response. She just encountered love. She responded. I want to talk today about a bunch of response. Y'all can finish reading that little snippet. I love the last part of that. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. What is completion? When he spoke to somebody, their heart was changed. And then what did they do? They went and told. That's the completion. That now I become a disciple that makes disciples. Do you see that cycle? That's why it's not enough for us to huddle together in the church. They didn't do that in Acts. They had no needs among them because everyone began to look out. In the Western church, we all huddle. Now no one can go to church because we're going to give each other COVID. We aren't talking about healing COVID. We're just talking about getting it. Now the variant has come by. I think that's somewhere in the Star Wars movies. The variant is here. If you didn't have power over the COVID the first time, the variant has come to give you another chance. What are you going to do with this power? I'm telling you, this is God-sized power. Surely it's great enough for us to quit huddling together in our own misery. I know that's none of us. So I was thinking yesterday, he kept talking to me about the different characters in the Bible and how they responded. And I didn't look them all up, but let me just tell you what I know from memory, okay? So one of my favorite one is Elijah and Elisha. That's the first one. Now, what happens to you when God comes and he calls your name? I love Elijah. Elijah. He's up there on Mount Carmel because, you know, he had a Carmel Sunday with a hot fudge on the side. I'm off Sundays right now. That's why we're thinking about them, you know. I don't know about you, but when I'm not on food, I just watch stuff about food. So I watch, I've been watching this, show, this YouTube video on how they put all this stuff in one pan and just make it into all kinds of stuff because I'm not eating that stuff right now, so I can watch them, and they are really enjoying it, but I'm not. And so what happened was on Mount Carmel when they were having those Sundays and the fire of God came down and it burned up all this stuff and destroyed everything. And then what happened? Little Miss Jezzy. She sent an inner office memo to, to Ellie and said, Hey, dude, this is what she said. I love her terminology. The same thing that you just did. I'm going to do that to you by this time tomorrow. She gave him a timeline and everything. So, man, he hitched it out of town. Because why? Ellie's the only one. That's what he told God. He got himself hooked up underneath the... Think about this. Think about a guy who just did that, and now he went running off, and then he hid under a tree, and God fed him, and then he's still complaining. And I love what God said. Go back the very way you came. There's a whole lot to that story, and I've talked to you about it a lot, and you know, but what he said was go back the way you came, go get Jehu. He'll kick out Jesse and go get Elisha and he'll replace you. Now I don't know what Ellie was feeling that day. When he's like, maybe he was tired. Maybe he was done being the prophet. Maybe he was done fighting the Jezzies. But that day, on his way back, the way he came. See, that tells me something. He passed Elisha on the way. Wow. 
Because it didn't say, and he took a big side turn and he found Jehu. And no, he passed them on the way to having the pity party. He passed him on the way, and he said, "Go back the way he came." And I love it because you know he's our, It was he said travel. It was forty days travel. Wow. So he was hangry under the juni. He's probably hangry now. And I love what Elijah, being the loving prophet, it says he walked by and he just threw his coat. I can just see him. Come here, bro. Just like there it is. He's my replacement. Can you see, can you see him? I mean, he's already got an attitude. He's already scared out of out of his wits because Jesse's coming to get him, right? He are, it's so crazy. And but what was Elisha's response? We're talking about responses today. I love what Elisha said. He said, "Wait, I don't know what's happening right now. Really, I have no idea what's going on. You gave me this coat. I think you're a really cool guy, and I think I want to follow you. But I want to go tell my mom and daddy bye." And I said, well, I don't care what you do, basically. What have I even done to you? And just kept on walking. Well, I think Elisha was pretty smart. He saw hangry Elijah. It's not going to work for me to take time out to go tell my mommy and daddy bye. But how about we have some beef? How about you want a steak dinner? They never left each other's side ever again. And he never told mommy and daddy bye. But he burned everything and he cooked up a meal. It's my version. Cooked up a meal for hangry Elijah. Sent him out on the whirlwind all full of beef. Where's the beef? It's with Elisha. It was his old life. This is just my story. What was your response? Don't you love... Elisha's like, okay, well, I guess I can't go say bye to mommy and daddy. How about some meat? So he settled what? The ability to go back. You burn up all your equipment. You know, we recently, we've been working with this plumber for 18 years. And we liked him mostly. And nobody, you know, we judge everybody by Desrim standards. And we, you know, this is not good. Because we have Sidwell. And so, and the strongest person in the world, which is right there. That's what they call each other. And, and so, he recently quit. Now, this is his second time to quit. But we knew he was serious this time. Because he sold all his equipment. What's your response going to be? The other person I was thinking about was Jesus. I like Jesus' response. And I wanted to read you another little story. It's in Luke. Luke 5. Actually, let's back up just a minute. Luke 4. Okay, Luke 4 is Jesus in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it says, from the moment of his baptism, who baptized him? Okay. This was before he called any disciples, right? Just get, get you a little history lesson, a little timeline, right? So it says, Jesus overflowed with the Holy Spirit. And he was taken by the Spirit. Yeah. To the Marriott at Cancun. 
That's where I'm going later this year. <laughs> to the that's the wilderness. The Marriott at Cancun. Trust me, it's the wilderness. <laughs> and and this is interesting because the Holy Spirit was full in him. Remember what I just read to you that he was telling the disciples, I've had a meal you don't know about. So was the testing for Jesus or for Lou? Because listen to this. It says, He ate nothing during this 40-day fast, and he was very hungry. Then, then the devil said to him. So I don't know. It doesn't say, were they hanging out? It didn't say the devil just arrived. It said after we got to the hangry stage. Then the devil said to him. He said this, this is what, see, do you understand? Can you understand this? This makes so much sense to me. Let me try to explain it to you. But the enemy always gives you the question of the thing you already have the answer to. He did it to Adam. He did it to Adam and Eve. Yeah. Did God really say? They already knew the answer. He's not smart. Right. We get tripped up so easily because the question is posed in my head. I propose to you that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. I propose to you that this was to set Lou up. Would you would you would you want to change your mind yeah. about testing for a minute? Yes. Would you? Yeah. Would you want to say, "Oh, I am full. I am full of the Holy Spirit." Do you do you feel? I feel full of the Holy Spirit. Do you, does anyone feel full? Of the Holy? Well, what are you going to do with your excess? Let's wrangle around with stupid Lou. <laughs> Let's set up a table in the presence of my enemies. I've been, I've been fasting. I'm having a meal right now you don't know of. Just like I'm having a meal with the woman at the well, I'm having me a meal right now with Lou. And they started out the same thing. If, are you really the son of God? I mean, if you really are, has anyone ever said this to you? If you really are that, then you'll do this. Well, no, that's by you. You, If you really are my family, you'll do this. Have you heard that one? That's just by you. It's not by him. Right? If you really are, are you? Do you know? Has he questioned you lately? We're talking about responses today. So he's going to come. Now, see, listen. If you had been raised, and this is what somebody said to you. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and then go wrangle with the devil. Take him down. Take him out. Put him out of business. Would you look at life any differently? Because what we did was we like, oh my gosh, something bad's happening. I got a flat tire. God, where are you? God, where are you? You said you'd protect me. Nothing, no harm would come to me. Well, how long have you had them things? It also says, 
so much, only so, it said on the thing, there's only so much tread life on this tire. Do you see? We get everything so weird in our head. Are you filled? What's your response to this amazing gift of being filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing? Like it's running off of your heels and palms and feet and off your head. Right? What's your response? So I love Jesus. You know, they go back and forth. If you're this, if you're that, if you're this, if you're that. And of course, you know, he just, the, the enemy's so stupid. He takes him to all the places where Jesus has major authority. Don't you love it? If y'all if you have time, you can go back and read it. But one of the, the highest point of the temple. Well, who in the world is at the highest point of the temple right now? Jesus seated at the throne. So he's always taking you. Do you understand? The place where you already have this authority. That's why it wasn't a deal for Jesus. Because he was setting up the enemy. I love this because, you know, Jesus kept... And this is what the last thing he said. How do you dare provoke me? Why don't you start using some of that language with the devil? I said yesterday, I said, Jesus, your body isn't feeling good. Why, why are you living in a temple that don't feel good? I didn't feel good yesterday. And he was like, right. Right. I feel great today. Because Jesus, he didn't want to live. Are you with me at all? Jesus, why are you having all these emotional responses? Do you understand? You have a way more authority and way more power because the Holy Spirit lives in you. So I love this. It said, that silenced the devil's harassment for the time being. So he retreated until an opportune time. And then Jesus, armed with the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee and his fame spread. And now we're going to get to the story. So he did some other stuff. So now jump over to Luke 5. In Luke 5, this is what happened. Hang on. We're just waiting for this Bible gateway to get, catch up with this. Luke 5. Here we are. So on this occasion, Jesus was preaching to a crowd on the shore of Galilee. Now, do you remember this story? He hasn't called his disciples yet, okay? So he just left the wilderness, the party with Lou, where he took him down. He made Lou feel like an idiot, and Lou had to leave, right? Because Jesus was like, stop it. See, Jesus knew three things would answer everything for the rest of your life. Go search out a matter. Those three things that Jesus answered the enemy are the thing that will make you successful in life if you learn to, to say them to the enemy. Y'all wrestle way too much with him. He doesn't even have a new lie. He doesn't even have a new... It's the same one you heard when you were a kid. You just multiplied it into something bigger. Right? I use me all the time. I was four when they told me, clearly, you cannot speak. All my letters and consonants were just marbles in my mouth. I literally couldn't say W, L, or R... Was there another one? Anyway, so think about how many words have a W, an L, or an R. All of my cousins, all nine of them, their names started with an R. That's a joke from God right there. <laughs> so if I yielded, I listened to Chris the other day, and he said what we do is we let our fear determine our ceiling, and we get lower and lower so fear never touches us. Yeah. 
And we actually live in complete isolation in the corner, sucking our thumb, and we can't even do anything powerful. That's, that's the truth of all mental illness, in my opinion, right there. Is I believed a lie, and I began to incorporate it in my life, and I got smaller. Then another lie came, and I incorporated it in my life, and I got smaller. And another lie came, and I incorporated it, and I got smaller, smaller, and smaller, until I'm not operating in anything. So anyway, he's on the side, and he's decided to preach. And so what does he do? I love Jesus so much. He noticed a couple of fishing boats. He's at the water. I mean, you know, they're going to be there, right? Jesus is setting them up. Do you see how Jesus thinks a little bigger than us? Yeah. Right? So he says to Simon Peter, let me use your boat. Push off from a short distance. And so he sat down and he taught them. And then he said this, after he taught the people, he's in the boat. He said, hey, Pete, let's row out to the deep water. And let's have a great catch. And Peter's like, hey, we just got back. So in other words, Jesus just arrived on the shore to preach at the moment they just got back from fishing all night. They fished at night. Thank you, Moo. And he said, we just fished all night and we didn't catch a thing. But if you insist... I, don't, I didn't hear anything about Jesus insisting, did you? I felt like it was a simple suggestion. Pete, let's go out to the deep and get, some, get a haul, right? And he said this, But we'll go out and we'll let down our nets again because you said it. He didn't even know him. But he just heard what Jesus said. Now, we didn't say what he said. But it was enough to get Pete, and we know Pete. He was a strong, sanguine, choleric. Don't we know? Don't we know? So Pete said, well, I feel like this is a waste of time, honestly. But I think I've just heard something you said. You know, every choleric's first response is no. You know, when you make a suggestion, they're like, no. I make suggestions, and a year later, people come and tell me this great idea they had, and I'm like, I gave you that idea a year ago. You just said no to it. Right? Right, my cleric friends? It's true. Right, Lynn? Come on. It's true. So they, they, they went out, and they just did what he said. The insistent Jesus. But what was his response? We're talking about responses today. His response was, well, I wanted to tell you what I've already done that didn't work. We love that part, don't we? Have you done that recently? God says, hey, it's time. We're like, hey, but we tried that last year, God. But if you insist. And I love it. It says they got such a huge catch that they had to wave to all their other business partners. And they end up filling boat, both boats with fish until it began to sink. And then Pete was astonished. And, of course, he, he does what a good sanguine would do. He then all of a sudden realized how idiotic he had been for doubting. See, it was an internal doubt. No one knew it, right? But he knew because he said, if you insist, he knew he was doubting. And what he did, he fell down. He fell down. What he did? He fell down then. He fell down and he said, go away from me, Master, for I'm a sinful man. 
But he said that they were all, but this is what Jesus said. Pete, don't yield to your fear. What was his response? He wanted Jesus. Why did he want Jesus to get away from him? And why was Jesus' response, don't yield to fear? See, when Jesus comes in, he's calling you the whole time. He's positioning everything right in the place where you are already trying to toil on your own. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I love this. He didn't even say anything. He said, don't yield to fear, to fear, but from now on, you'll catch men. And what happened? After they pulled their boats ashore, they left everything behind and followed Jesus. So see, that's a response to all, just think of all that activity that just went down, a day in the life of Jesus. Just been hanging out with Lou, right? Lou's been questioning who I am, trying to figure out if I know who I am. You think Jesus was like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the Son of God. No, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew his identity. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Trust me, you may not realize it today, but if you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit, you absolutely know who you are. And so when the enemy comes to question you, expect it. The Holy Spirit is setting you up. Y'all act, act nervous about that. You shouldn't act nervous about that because it empowers you then to what? To go out and start your ministry. To go out and heal the sick. To go out and make fish. And of course, you can read the rest of that chapter. Jesus goes and does. It's just It just began right then. It began with a bunch of fish followers. That's all it was. Now think about it. Another person I wanted to talk about really briefly is the rich young ruler. Let's, let's go to Luke. That's also in Luke 5. Let's see if we can find him. Sorry, I'm looking for it. I think it's 28, isn't it? 528. Sorry. No, that's Matthew. Hang on. Luke 18. I didn't think that sounded right. We'll, we'll go back and look at um, Matthew. That's, that's in Luke 5. Y'all like Matthew because of the chosen, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dean. I'm really going to find it. There he is. Luke 18. No, that's not it either. Is it 18, 18? I clearly can't see it. Hold on. There it is. I was totally in the wrong place. Um, 
So this is this is what happens with the with the rich young ruler. It says one day a wealthy Jewish nobleman of high standing owes this question to Jesus. Wonderful teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Now why did he say that? Because Jesus just talked about it. I I propose he just talked about it previously, and he probably heard him. But he was talking to children in the previous couple verses, right? Shall we read that too? Verse 17, learn this, well, unless you receive revelation of the kingdom the same way a little child receives it, you will never be able to enter in. How does a little child receive it? When you tell a little kid something, they're, they're what we would call gullible, but the kingdom would call trusting. When we lost trust in the natural, we have to be careful because we probably lost trust in the supernatural. And that's the enemy's M.O. He wants you to not trust anybody. And and the more things that happen to us, I I wanted to say, it's kind of a blanket statement, but most of the time I've noticed that things that broke our trust, and and I'm talking previous, not previous to when we were little children and when we we didn't have any say, but a lot of times as adults, things that broke our, our trust are things we invested in to meet a need need that were never God. Based on the injury we had. So we end up with the wrong husband or the wrong wife. We end up at the wrong business, at the wrong job, whatever. Because why? We're We're still living out of an orphan mentality that was damaged when we were little. That's why it's so important to go back and fix that because all of our adult decisions got made with that in mind. Would you agree? And so... Anyway, he was speaking to the children, so then here comes this guy, and he says, why would you call me wonderful when there is only one who is wonderful that is God alone? Now, why did Jesus say that? Again, Jesus knows what's in people's hearts, right? I propose to you he was wealthy, and he's calling Jesus wonderful. Are you getting it? Are you sure? Because see, because see, he knew his wealth bought him things. I propose to you that he knew how to approach. Have you ever met anybody that kind of knew they could get anything they wanted? They don't come to you and go, you're an idiot, give it to me. They're like, huh, they're, they got lip service is what I call it. They're good. They've become proficient in lip service. But Jesus, he wrangled with the devil in the wilderness. This is chapter 18. He's been doing other stuff. Right? So he calls him on his lip service. This is my story. Okay, Pam likes it. I got some, Pam gave me some liberty. And he says, you already know what is right. So see, don't you love Jesus? He's like, slap that lip service out of the way. You already know the truth. How many of y'all know you already know the truth sometimes? And someone is, you're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I love Lynn. You know, she's a straight shooter. So, you know, she tells me in her small group and in her fireside, you know, people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, oh, yeah, you do. Don't you love Lynn for that? Slapping that lip service right off of your head. (laughs) Give me some of that. There's just a whole, 
exhaustive exercise we're doing. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, no, you know. You're the one doing it. He says, you already know what is right, and you teach it. And, and he was like, you know, Jesus gave him some basics. Don't commit adultery. Because why did Jesus say all those? He already knew the answer that the guy was going to give. So here's the, here's the wealthy leader. These are very things I've been doing for a long time, as long as I can even remember. Again, he's feeling it. He didn't get, you know, the loving Jesus was too kind with slapping that lip service off. You know, it was just kind of a little nudge. And he's like, I think I still got him. I think I still got Jesus. I think I still got him in my back pocket. I think I'm still going to get to buy my way. Uh-huh. And the man, again, he says, what is that? After, Oh, sorry, I missed a verse. That, that didn't make it funny then. <laughs> Hang on. Jesus said, ah. Oh, well, there's still one thing you're missing. Then he said, what is it? Right? He's still, Jesus is still like, come on, come on, get come closer. I got my sword in my hand. Come closer. You must go and sell everything you own. Why did he say that? Because everything for the dude was based in what he had made on his own. Now remember, he just had told the disciples when he called them. You know, I think I think it is in um, Luke five, isn't it? Where Matthew is? Somebody find that for me. Yeah, where is that? Jesus, he, hold on, hold on. Sorry, I don't have any of these written down because I didn't know what I was going to do today. Yeah, afterwards Jesus went out and he looked for a man named Matthew. And he found him sitting at the tax collector booth. And Jesus said to him, be my disciple and follow me. In that very moment, Matthew got up and left everything behind. That's a response, right? So that had already happened. So now here we are, Mr. I got to sell everything. Give to the proceeds to the poor and you'll enter. Now see, this, this has become a theology for the religious spirit. No rich people can get to heaven. No, no, no. It's where your love is. If you are more protective of your 401k, which some of y'all have no idea what that is, but <laughs> of your 401k, I love how Lynn, she was talking to somebody this week, and she said that she was, you know, Lynn's so good with finances. And so she was trying to explain to them how to be a giver and how to save. And they were like, well, no, it's just I'm going to save everything. And she's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. See, we don't understand balance very good. And this guy didn't understand balance very good. And so these words devastated the rich leader, for he was extremely wealthy. And Jesus saw his disappointment and looking right at him said, it is next to impossible for those who have everything to enter into God's kingdom. Nothing could be harder. You could compare it to trying to stuff a rope through the eye of the needle. And this is the passion guy. He explains this really good. He said the Greek is to stuff a camel through the eye of the needle. However, thank you for actually looking at the Aramaic, right? The word for rope and camel is basically the same. This He said, this could be an instance of the Aramaic text being misread by the Greek translators as camel instead of rope. 
But he said, regardless, Jesus used the metaphor for something impossible. It's the same thing as we, if we would say, can you make pigs fly? So see, Jesus was saying that he, the love of what he had created his response is my whole point for telling you this story. The love where our love is. And that's why Christy was talking about covenant. If, even if our love for things that it, in the natural, our family or, or a job or whatever, would keep us from making a true covenant, then I don't actually experience the benefits of the covenant. Right? And so all these people had... All these crazy different responses. And I, I, the other thing that God was showing me today was in Hebrews. And I wanted to talk to you just before I finished about that. Um, in our covenant with God, which is what Jesus was proposing to the rich young ruler. That's what he was proposing to the disciples. That's what he was proposing to Matthew. Why did they all have different responses? Jesus, it, it, this has gone on throughout the whole Bible history. Just if you want to, for a, just a funsy, look at the different characters and see how they responded. I mean, think about Gideon. He fleeced God to death, yeah. right? Yeah. right? Right? Think about Saul, you know, as when he was king and what happened to him. Think about David. Think about the responses. Think about Mary. When the angel came, God didn't even come to it. It was just an angel. Yeah. And what does she say? Be unto me yeah. according to what you just said. You know, that's, that's exactly what Pete said when he was fishing. Well, we've already done this, but be it unto me what you just said. Yeah. See, when God tells you something, you're going to have to have that kind of response because the enemy is going to come and question, did God say it? Yeah. That's the enemy's number one question. Did God really say that he would save your family? Did God really say that you would be in health? Did God really say you're going to have a good job? Did God really say that you're going to get married? Did he really say it? We don't get to make up a bunch of stuff and it wasn't what God said and then ride it all the way to eternity. I want to find out first, did he say it? Is that a promise from him? You know, there's some things in God that are electives. I'm going to go eat barbecue today. At a new barbecue place. And that's an elective. I mean, I really want Italian, but there's no good Italian places. It's the reality of my life. When that place closed down, nothing good. I have to go down to Moore to Elvira to eat good Italian. It's not really its name. And so, you know I like it because I left my credit card there and made me go back. What was I saying before we got on Elvira? Yes, we have electives, but there's some things that are God's promises. You could take them to eternity and back. That's a long time, by the way. But see, if I am wishy-washy in what he said, then the next thing I know is, oh, another little job comes along. Oh, another little human comes along. Another little, oh, ministry comes along. Oh, no, I've br- I'm breaking covenant all the time inside my heart. That's why Jesus, Jesus, when he said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've already said, what was he saying? He's saying that the new covenant is about an internal heart posture, not what everybody sees you doing. I've got these scriptures, um, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 13. I can't read them all, but y'all read those chapters. But let me pull out a couple snuggets. Hebrews 8, this... It's really good, but it, 
and you can read the previous part. This proves that establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete. Yes. Yeah. Why did we even have the first covenant? They, they, they didn't want him to write on their hearts. Yeah. Right? They were scared of him. He wanted to, he's always wanted to have a heart-to-heart connection with you. Where that he just nudges. That's why he's living in there. You know, if you live with somebody, you can just nudge them. They're right there somewhere close in the house, right? If you got somebody that lives over in Germany, it's a little harder to get a message to them. So the Holy Spirit's inside. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to do some operations on the earth with because why? I'm in covenant. He needed a body. I needed the power. Simply put. So it says it's ready to expire and it's about to disappear. It says this is the passion commentary. It's near obliteration. The old which is about to disappear can also refer to our old life, its old ways of pleasing the flesh, and the sinful disposition of our hearts. The Aramaic verb is disappear, which also means give birth. So the old covenant cause us to wrangle around with our soul because he wasn't in now i have the inward operation of the holy spirit i love how sidwell teaches that little rc kids go talk to the holy spirit it doesn't mean they get it all right because because sidwell has the holy spirit so when they come back and say he said give me the whole bowl of candy no he didn't say that right See, that's the thing. When if you don't tell anybody as an adult what the Holy Spirit's telling you, you're actually going for the whole bowl of candy and you don't even know it. And you call it the Holy Spirit because you get the same goosey feeling that you got when they sang that one word in the worship song today. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is consistent. The Holy Spirit has a standard. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you somewhere. And so... The new covenant is about something else going away. A lot of times we like to live in both covenants. Think about what's the benefit of the old covenant. What was it, Pammy? What? I couldn't hear it. I had several. There's some benefits of the old covenant. To what part of us? It was close, Phil. I like self-gratification. Self-accomplishment. Over here is Lazy River of Trust. That doesn't feel comfortable. I would much rather be, I would much rather please the religious spirit because I know the rules. I know the timeline. I know the one through ten. I know the steps. I like to be rigid, not flexible. I like to know the outcome. I like to know what I'm getting into. I like to know if it's going to be success. Have you ever met anybody that doesn't trust? And you're telling them something true, right? Have you ever told them something true? And they don't trust? What do they sound like? What do their words sound like? Argumentative, debating, right? That's You just know right up front. They have another player in the room that you're actually having the conversation with. Normally called the religious spirit. No, normally called the political spirit. Something. Right? It's a spirit of another God. It's a good way to say it. 
Hebrews 10, it says, you need the strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will, and then you'll receive the promise in full. So this is another part of the covenant, is that there's a promise, but there's actually endurance needed. That's why when you pray something, or when you sow something, the, when you plant, the plants are the best way to see this. When you plant something, tomorrow I'm not going to have apples on that freshly planted twig. Right? It's the same way with our lives. That you have large fruit to bear. You have smaller fruit to bear. You have some just beautiful flowers to bloom in your beautiful garden with God. Right? But what we do is we get impatient or we get neglectful. And one of the things that causes us to be neglectful is that we have to have patience. So we begin to look at what isn't happening instead of look at what has happened. See, no, there's not a person in this room who shouldn't think you're better off spiritually. Most of you financially, most of you where you live, than you were five years ago, ten, wherever you came from. So something has happened in your garden. There has been progress. However... You've got to manage that garden forever. Right? Hebrews 13. I thought of a story there, but I'm neglecting it. Hebrews 13. (laughs) May he work perfection into every part of you, giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. And may he express through you all that is excellent and pleasing and beautiful to him through your life union with Jesus, who is to receive all the glory forever. So see, that's the cool part of this Christianity gig. Is that what I couldn't do for myself, God made a plan to do for me. Now me just joining up my little part, because you have a part, with his part, right? means that Jesus gets all the glory. You want this. I don't know. I know you thought you wanted the glory, but you don't want the glory because glory is hard to maintain. Ask Justin Beaver. Look at his little road played out for us. Remember when Army used to intercede for him a few years back? I was watching him the other day. He was on stage. He was laying flat out on his face with his little microphone in his hand, singing that, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. You know, he ended up marrying the Baldwin daughter, who the, I told that story about them, who they had the housekeeper that, that the church in some other foreign country said, some rich people in America are looking for a housekeeper and she didn't want to do it, but the pastor asked her to do it. And she went, remember, and she ended up witnessing to the Baldwin's wife. And remember, he thought she was going crazy, but she was over there laying. The wife was laying on the ground, speaking in tongues, praying for, um, what's his name? Stephen Baldwin. And, and Justin Beaver ended up marrying his daughter. Do you see, God can do stuff. Why is Army praying for Justin Beaver 10, 6 years ago? I don't know how many years ago it was. We were like, how does he even know Justin Beaver? 
He called him Beaver the whole time. Because it's a prophetic house. You know, I don't know all about his life, and I'm not judging it, but I mean, I just seeing him lay on his face like that. Knowing that I also saw him doing drugs on TV one time. See, God's trying to, it says, what is excellent, excellent and pleasing and beautiful out of you. That's what you bring to the table. You have this response to this love. You have this life that, that he's saying, if you will make this covenant with me. And just remember what Christy was saying. Maybe she can share a little more about it. But, but the point of it was is that you have a weakness. I mean, let's just say, for, since I'm making this all up today, let's just say that God's weakness is he needed humanity. His weakness was he wanted a relationship. He wanted relationship. God desires relationship so much with you that he made the ability and availability to make a covenant where you bring your weakness, he brings his weakness. But guess who looks amazing right here? And guess who looks amazing later? Come on, Mendel. What a good word, huh? I think that, um, you know, we didn't know how it was going to go together today. I didn't know what Tisa was going to preach on today. But I think the the take-home message, one of the many take-home messages, is how covenant-based are our responses. There we go. How covenant-based are our responses in life? You know, and uh, this word that he told me, uh, that the Holy Spirit gave me yesterday, he said, a shroud I didn't give to you. And when I was studying that word, I did, you know, I did look up the word and and confirm that it was the burial cloth that was placed around Jesus's eyes. And so I'm thinking, okay, something over our eyes that we can't see through that's put on dead people's eyes. He didn't give us something to put over our eyes and consider us dead. He didn't give that to us. But he, another word and definition or the way that word is used is shrouded. And shrouded means to surround something so much that it conceals it from view. And so when I was thinking about how that applied and how he said in this word, I ask you, are you walking in covenant with me or with lies from the enemy? Well, just to share a little bit of an example, because some of you may be wondering, well, I'm not in covenant with the enemy. I'm not in covenant with lies. But just to give you an example, for me, I was just talking with Tisa earlier Saturday morning, and I was, she was saying to me that, she does, that I don't remember well how, min, how much fear I used to live in. And it's true. I will, I will forget. And it came to me why it, it escapes my mind. It's because the fear thoughts that I had back in the past, they weren't my thoughts. They, they weren't me. And so when somebody says something to me about, well, remember how much fear you and so, well, I never believed that. That wasn't me. I never believed that. But the, the picture I saw was what happened is that some people in life, just the way I grew up, all of this, et cetera, et cetera, the enemy shrouded me with lies 
with enemies, the enemy's thoughts. And I've often pictured it this way. It was like somebody wrapping a heavy blanket over me and then putting another one on and another one and another one until I was so weighed down that my own beliefs were shrouded. The mind, this was post salvation for me. So the mind of Christ in me was shrouded by those lies and that heaviness. And so when he says, are you walking in covenant with me or with lies from the enemy? I propose to you that some of us are part are partnering sort of in covenant with the, what was shrouded on us, those things, because I know even in my process now, I've been on a journey of those things that will still kind of come over me or are draped over me. I then have to contend for which one I'm going to pay attention to in, a, in a, any given day. And so I've gotten way better at it. I've gotten way better of saying, you know, get off of me. But I still, sometimes, depending on how I'm doing, I can get that thing off of me in a couple of minutes. Sometimes it might be a couple of days. And there's, that's my, it's my cycle, okay? And so at, depending on how I'm doing, I may be walking, in a sense, covenant with what has been put on me, with the lies, because I will, I will turn to it and look at it and argue with it and debate with it and I'll see if it has any truth in it. And I'll say, are you offering me something by what you're telling me? Is this fear thought offering me some sort of protection? Is this a hint of something I need to pay attention to? That is a walking in a covenant with lies. And so he's saying, I didn't give you a shroud. I did not give you anything that's draped over you, and I didn't give you something to see yourself or life through that's meant for dead people. So we have, that's it, that's it. So he's saying how important this is and, and how realistic it is. Are we walking in covenant with him or are we walking in covenant with these fears, thoughts, and et cetera? And so we have to know what our covenant really means in order to put that robe on every day. When um, I listened to this teaching by Robin Bullock um, on Elijah Streams the other day, I highly recommend it. It was from last Monday, and it's right around the 35-minute mark. He starts going into this story, and he tells just he just tells the details really well, painting the picture of how powerful our covenant is. And Tisa mentioned it, but don't you love that picture of a, a, a scar was formed when a covenant was made back in that day? And so people would hold their hand up and say, Hey, are you the one I'm in covenant with? Do you have a scar on your hand like this? Hey, remember our covenant? Hey, I'm, I'm saying hi to you because I remember my covenant with you and I'm in relationship with you and I'm connected to you and I know everything that's yours is mine and everything that's mine is yours. So I'm going to hold it up here and, and wave it and I'm going to advertise it. I'm going to let the world see it. I'm going to remind you of it. The idea that in heaven, all of every other human being in heaven has a glorified, perfectly healed body, but Jesus is still carrying the scars on his hand because it's a covenant that he made with us. And so when we raise our hands in worship, we're not just saying, I believe who you are, you're Jesus. I'm, we're saying, I'm in covenant with you. 
I'm reminding you of my covenant, of your covenant with me and me of my covenant with you. I'm standing in agreement when I'm in worship and when I'm in praise of our covenant. It would be so wise of us to start retraining our minds how to think in this way about what we truly carry. I, I love in the, that idea that we could say in the spiritual world, hey, fear, do you know who you're messing with? Because I've got a covenant with Jesus. Do you know who you're messing with? How dare you even speak that to me? You better get to running because I'm in covenant with the king. So that, that paints a new picture and a new meaning behind worship in the face of a battle. You know, when you're in a battle, worship, I'm going to remind him and I'm going to remind me of our covenant. Another thing that, that Robin Bullock shared is that we have to start thinking like kings to practice our covenant, to live out of that covenant, to have covenant responses. We have to think like a king. And he tells this great story about how back in the days of kings, the kings would have certain days that they designated as benevolence days. And so all the commoners, any commoner could come up and it was a day set aside for them to request something from the king. And so he tells this story about how once there was a man and he comes up before the king and he says, and the, the king asked him, what, you know, ask, what are you, what would you like? What do you need from me? And the man says, well, I want a thousand acres of land. And in fact, I want cattle on all of that land. In fact, I want a house like yours that looks just like yours. I want to live in a house like yours. And he goes on and on and on asking all of these really extravagant things. And the people around him and the other commoners and the people who serve the king think this man's about to lose his head for having the audacity to ask this. And so he finishes his request, his extravagant request, and the king looks around and he thinks for a minute and he turns back to the man and says, granted, it's all yours, just what you asked for. And the people were trying, needed an explanation for this. Well, why, why did that work? Why did he get to do that? Why aren't you insulted that a commoner would come and ask you to give him everything you have? Why aren't you insulted? And the king said, I am honored. He honored me as king by believing that I could give him the magnitude of what he asked for. He honored me as king by believing that I had the capacity to give him what he asked for. We've got to start thinking like kings. We've got to be ready in our minds and in our hearts to know what we carry, whose kingdom we have full access to. And so our responses at any given situation will be, well, I can go ask the king right now for this, and it's mine, and I can ask extravagantly, and it will be a moment of worship for him. It will be an honor to him for me to make that request of him. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you for this word. I thank you for this message today, for the pictures that you're painting. I thank you for all of your anointed messengers who send us, who, who preach messages and tell the stories and retell your stories and retell your promises in the word so that we can believe and stop thinking like prisoners and slaves, but thinking like kings and queens. 
And so we say that this is a word that's relevant for right now. We agree with you that this is a word that's relevant for right now, that we are kings and queens. We are kings and priests walking the earth right now with full access to what the heaven, what the kingdom of God has. And so thank you for reminding us. Thank you for telling us again in a fresh new way today what we carry and whose authority we carry and what we have access to because it's for such a time as this that we are meant to make extravagant requests from the king. So we will lift our hands even more in worship to you and we will take on and we will remember in our heart. I just declare it prophetically. I will say we will remember. Our hearts will remember. Our soul will will remember. Our mind, our will, and our emotions will tether itself to the truth that we are in covenant relationship with the resurrected king. So we say thank you and we honor you. We honor you. We honor you. We will honor you even more in the days ahead when we remember our covenant with you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. We will express our love and our honor for you by making extravagant requests of you, by walking in the covenant and knowing whose we are. We love you. We love you. We love you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We will remind ourselves of who we are and what we have in you by gazing at you and keeping our attention on you. We will participate with you in renewing our minds by keeping our gaze fixed on you, by looking at all that you are, all that you have, because everything that we see in you, we have access to. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Father God. We say you are the one true God. 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 We love you. We love you. We love you. And everything that we have is yours. We receive the gift of covenant. And in return, we give you our entire lives, this body, our opportunity, time on earth. We give it all to you. Thank you for renewing our minds to walk in this truth. So we say a wholehearted yes to you today. In Jesus' name, yes, yes, yes. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.